And we're back for another week live from the Empire of Lies. This is a show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Strahan, and this is The Backstory. It is a Monday, a Carmine Monday, correct? We do. Hey, Carmine Savior, how are you doing? Fantasmagorical, how are you? Good, did you have a great weekend? I did, man, you know? Um, I, I worked hard, you know? I worked hard, but uh, you got you to gotta work hard. So I worked hard, and uh, here we are. So Had I didn't a, you take know, that advice, Carmine. Unfortunately, I relaxed this weekend, but oh, no, that's what I tried to do on the weekend. Am I, I okay? About, I had about five hours sleep the whole weekend, so. Okay. Well, that can be your partying, or it could be you just don't sleep well. Which I, uh, was it, Carmine? Uh, um, yeah, on uh, on Saturday night, a female friend of mine and I played checkers till really late. And then Is I had that to work. what kids call nowadays? Playing checkers? <laughs> had to play checkers, and then I, I only had like three hours till I got to work on Sunday, so. Now, uh,. President Trump complained over the weekend. Did you see that? He's not happy with the raid on him. That's shocking. Mar a Lago. I wasn't aware of that. And I, the, the Democrats have gotten me thoroughly confused on the subject. I don't know what happened. I guess there was some. Trump took home a couple of nuclear bombs. I may have some details wrong here. But as I understand it, Trump was going to fire nuclear weapons, and he brought a bomb home with him. And in order to save the country, they had to raid him. Am I basically right on that, Carmine? Uh, it sounds close. It sounds close. They were very heroic. Very heroic. They saved That's the world. That's basically a Democrat story now, right? That's pretty much, yeah. I mean, well, listen. As soon as they said espionage act, before they said a word, before they said a word, they go back and check my tweets, look at the timestamps. The second they said espionage act, I said, ladies and gentlemen, here's the story. They're going to say he was selling nuclear secrets to Russia. A few hours after that's that. That's right. A few hours after that, that's, that was the suggestion. Now, we've got a great show. We'll be talking about this stuff today. Joel Siegel, attorney and funky, funky bass player, will be on with us. And he's a funky bass player. Joel Siegel in the first hour. And then Carmine. In the second hour, Andrew Arthur from the Center for Immigration Studies. These guys know immigration. Oh, awesomes. I was on with him before. And that'll, what's that, Carmine? I was hosting on a different episode where he was on, so I've been on with him before. Yeah, very, very smart guy. Yes. That's the show today. And we'll be taking your calls, 202-521-1320. And... In a second here, I'm going to attack Bill Clinton, because that seems timely to me. And I'll explain <laughs> coming up on The Backstory. So, Carmine, we'll be talking a lot about people like Ron DeSantis and this new breed of Republicans like Kerry Lake in a second. But let me take time to attack Bill Clinton for a second. I just want to hear this. I'm going to... The reason I'm going to is a show before us 
by any means necessary. Ted Rawl was on that show. Did you hear that today? Ted was their guest. I did and they not. Were I was asleep. About, that, I that's fine. Like this this will give, though. So Ted was on uh, by any means necessary, and he was talking about Bill Clinton, and he said something. I guarantee you, you've heard lots of Democrats say this over the years. They say basically, well, Bill Clinton was basically impeached over nothing. He was impeached over oral sex, and that's his private business. And you know the Republicans. Well, because that's how the media. That's how the media. That's how the media has spun it. That's how the media has spun it. Right. And Ted. Ted. Ted's a smart guy, but this is a standard media line on the Bill Clinton impeachment. It was over nothing, just his private business, oral sex, right? Have you, you heard that before from Democrats? Yeah, because I've um, got a zillion times, yeah. And, okay, the, and by so, the way, in the media, the media also portrays that that is what happened. And I am adamantly disagreeing with that. And I think— Because it's not true. My guess is— Right. My guess is, Carmine, that if I were a betting man, I would have bet that you would agree because you know the truth and you you know what actually happened. Now, let me sum it up quickly. Basically, what happened was Bill Clinton was being sued by a woman named Paul Jones, and she was a low level employee of his that he was having an affair with. And she claimed in the course of this lawsuit that there's reason to think that Bill Clinton might have done this because, lo and behold, he had had a sexual relationship with this young woman who was also a low-level employee named Paula Jones. I mean, Monica Lewinsky, forgive me. Monica Lewinsky claimed— confusing, right? I know. Right. Monica Lewinsky claimed that she he'd had sex— with this person, Monica Lewinsky. And that is directly affecting his lawsuit with Paul Jones because Lewinsky was another low-level employee, right? So he can't say, and what he did was he lied about the relationship with Lewinsky and basically said she was a nutcase, a, a you know, obsessed woman who was just claiming that. So what he lied about was a lawsuit filed by Correct. an employee, right? Under oath. Carmine? Under oath. Under oath, yes. As president, which means you get a certain Correct. amount of benefit of the doubt. Correct. So I think what is the reason was— It was, was actually was, a rather big— well, well, go ahead, Carmine. What do you think about what I said? I said, no, I said it was a, it was a rather big deal. Yes, and that he lied to the people who should, and the people who should be attacking Bill Clinton over this, are the Democrats. If the Democrats right. are who they say they are, if they are the party they're not. of the downtrodden, and they're the not. under and right, but if but you if you follow my, I'm I'm going along with their lie for a second. If oh, they yeah, are no, who they course, say yes. they are. If they're the party of women, if they're the party that looks out for people who are being taken advantage of, this was a woman who was being, she was the lowest level employee at the White House. 
And Paul Jones was one of the lowest level employees in the Arkansas government. And Bill Clinton is the kind of person who became governor we could so he could sleep with a waitress. That's Jennifer Flowers. But he's the kind of guy who wants power so he can use his power to pick up a waitress. Does it make sense, Rod? <laughs> I, I mean, Carmine, forgive me. Does it make yes. sense? Yes. So uh, that's why I think Clinton did. And it's a perfect example of democratic hypocrisy on these issues. Agreed? Right. Carmine? Constantly. And they want you to forget about them, by the way. If yes. You talk to them, if Which you is, talk to them about it, if you talk to them about it, they'll say, oh, oh, no, 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 uh, no. Uh, that's that's in the past. Let's talk about what's happening right now. See, but I have a feeling someone like Ted, if, if you were here, Ted Rawl is an honest person, in my experience. And Ted's the kind of guy, if I brought it up, he'd go, well, yeah, of course you're right. So some Democrats forget it because the narrative is so omnipresent. Like you said, Carmine, is omnipresent. If you bring up Bill Clinton, they automatically tell that story that's not relevant. It's just his private sex life. And it's repeated so often, people forget what happened, which is why I brought it up. And do you, Carmine, agree with my reasoning? Do I do you think it has to be brought up? The truth has to, because otherwise people will forget it. Carmine, say what? I mean, yes, but here's the problem. They control the narrative. They control Hollywood. They control the media. They control all the major news networks except for Fox. They're they're not gonna they're just not going to. No, they're I simply agree not that. going so, to. It's up to it's up to people like us. So to media outlets like this that that we are we continue to do it we continue to put it out there and we continue to tell people about their their bs their nonsense i saw a thing this weekend just to your point not to go off on a tangent i saw a thing this weekend where they're like you have to they're talking about mount rushmore and it's you know it's the only monument we can't tear down it's part of a mountain they were W. Kamal Bell on CNN was interviewing this this two Native people, two Native Americans. So I I formulated to myself, here's my offer, because the white man in America did all this evil, bro, all this evilly. All right. So there's only one way to write that, and it's what they proposed. We got to give the land back to them, and I agree. I agree that Native land where Mount Rushmore is going to give it back. But there's a catch. Going to give you the land back the way we found it. So all the superstars and all that stuff gone. The the cell phone towers gone. The airwaves for the for the radio and television gone. Electricity that that's flowing to the area sorry gone. You have to build it yourself because you want the land back. Because we came in, the evil white guy came in and destroyed this land for you. So we're going to take back all our weapons of destruction. So you can have nice, clean land. You want running water, all that stuff? Sorry, you have to build that. That wasn't there when we found it. Your thoughts? Well, well, I got to say, Mount Rushmore is here in South Dakota, and they only sort of have cell service out there. Is It's <laughs> problematic. 
they have really lousy cell service on res. It is one of the issues, actually, if you go to an Indian reservation. And a lot of western part of the state, big parts of the state, are an Indian reservation. The res takes up, I, I don't know how much land, but a big part of the land in South Dakota. And they and, want more. Well, it's it, it was actually their land. So I agree. I agree, Lee. But here's the thing. Everybody's land was somebody's land before the people who are there now got it. Most of this world has been conquered or purchased. Most of it was purchased in America, conquered or purchased by somebody. So all I'm saying to you, all I'm saying to you is my proposal is this. You get the land back, but without the running water, without the cell service, without the electricity, without all the things that we brought there. Because we're evil. You can't have evil sticking around. So you get the land back, but all the, all the reminders of that evil have to go with it. That's all I'm saying. Now, do you know what the second biggest tourist attraction in the state of South Dakota is? Carmine, what did you get? Your house. Your house. Close. No, but you're very close. It's actually the mall that's about a block away. The Empire Mall, the shopping mall. And by the way, there are plenty of malls in New Jersey that are better than the Empire Mall. It is no big deal for a mall. It's a low-level uh, mall. Paramus There's a lot is of better. malls in New Jersey. Right. New Jersey's but like I'm just mall, saying, mall land. Right, but I'm just saying, there's not much else in South Dakota where the mall is the second biggest tourist attraction. That explains a lot. So, so I'll tell you who else I you. want to talk about today. Carmine, I've got some clips to play. Oh, go play it. Wait, wait, say it again? No, I said, play it. I wanted to ask you a question, but we'll get to it. Okay. We're going to ask a question about, are there good steakhouses in South Dakota? Because, yes, I had dinner at one over the weekend. I believe My that. friend Dennis brought me out. And I will take you. This is a place I owe you a steak. By the way, Carmine, if you come out to South Dakota, I will take you to Maury's. It was a very good, proper, you know, you know, I like, I like steakhouses that are very masculine. You know yes. what I mean? There's a certain type yes. of steakhouse. It's very dark. The, the Correct. It's, it's going to sound like a gay bar, actually. It's le leather. Le yes, leather, no, you're right. A lot of leather. And dark temperature, right? And very masculine. Absolutely. It's that kind of steakhouse. Dark lighting, dark lighting. Right. I think I started dating my friend Dennis during the meal. I'm not sure, but it's possible. Everything, everything's wood. Everything is wood. Right. Right. And don't go there for the jokes because they're too obvious. But yes, I was at the steakhouse. It was one of these steakhouses that's expensive. But worth it. Does that make sense? With steakhouses, yeah. a cheap steakhouse is almost never a good thing. Agreed? If Agreed. you go, this is steakhouse. I found a steakhouse, Carmine. It's such a bargain. Don't trust me on anything. Go away. Yeah, it shouldn't be a because well, I'm going to steer you wrong. What, what do you think about Outback Steakhouse, though? I, I think Outback Steakhouse is good. Actually, there's an Outback down the street, and here it is. I'll tell you what else is good here on the 
steakhouse tip, believe it or not. Texas Roadhouse is a good place to have a steak. And that sounds like a real white trash thing. And admittedly, it is. But they're good steaks. Have you been in, you're in New Jersey. Do they have Texas Roadhouse in New Jersey? They do. Okay, so you know what I mean. The theme is white trash. Is that fair to say? <laughs> yeah. I hate to say that, but yes. But they do have good steaks there, I got to say. But let's get to these clips because over the weekend, I saw a lot of talk, and I've said this before. I'm liking this new breed of Republicans that Trump has wrought. And the establishment clearly hates them. People like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Ron DeSantis or Kerry Lake, the, the media, it's like Trump was cloned. And there's lots of mini Trumps. And the media doesn't know it. what to do with them. Right? The media doesn't know what I to do it. with themselves. And a lot of my right. former Republican friends, a lot of whom I'm still friends with, they're going nuts because they're like, they don't like any Republicans now. And uh, I think it's one of the good things about Trump is he actually has bred, even though he didn't exactly mean to. He has bred people like Carrie Lake and Ron DeSantis and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Bollard and a lot of these Republicans. So I have a few clips. First off, let's hear some stuff. Ron DeSantis, I think, sounds better than Trump in this clip, Carmine. This is Ron talking, and he is on policy, and he sounds just as tough as Donald Trump, but he sounds like he's tougher in a smart way. Let's play yes. this and see if you agree. See if you agree with me, Carmine. Let's hit it. These have now been weaponized to be used against people that the government doesn't like. And you look at the raid at Mar-a-Lago, and I'm just trying to, I'm trying to remember, maybe someone here can remind me about when they did a search warrant at Hillary's house in Chappaqua, when she had a rogue server and she was laundering classified information. I don't remember them doing that. I do remember them manufacturing a false conspiracy theory about Russia collusion. I remember that. That was not true. That was an abuse of power. I remember a lawyer for the FBI got caught doctoring an application for FISA surveillance against an innocent man. I remember the FBI at Merrick Garland's direction being sicked on parents going to school board meetings. Meanwhile, when you have a law that protects Supreme Court justices, is the FBI out there protecting our conservative justices? No. When you have violations of law where people are targeting cr pregnancy crisis centers, are they doing their job and enforcing the law there? No. They're enforcing the law based on who they like and who they don't like. That is not a republic. Well, it may be it's a banana republic when that happens. So there's Ron DeSantis. And what did you think of that, Carmine, what Ron said? Uh, he's 100% correct. We've been screaming this. Right. I, I agree with that. And I think he's sounding, I think Trump got a little bump in the presidential race from being raided. But I don't think, if you think about it, all problems, 
problems that Trump has remains is his inability to hire good people. And he yes. comes across he and Trump often comes across when he comes across angry as bullying and a little dumb. And I didn't think DeSantis comes across that way. What do you think, Carmine? Um, I, I, I like the way DeSantis comes across. Now, do you, do you think he's got a chance? Do you think Trump can attack him? If DeSantis decides to run, what do you think Trump's, Trump's angle attacking Ron DeSantis will be? Because you know he'll have one. It's going to be pretty hard. I would say to you that it's going to be pretty personal. Right. No, I agree. Now, I, I, I like Carrie Lake, the woman who's going to be running for governor in Arizona, Carrie Lake, Carrie Lake uh, won that primary. It was iffy. It was that was a nail biter, right? It took days to figure out the count on that, <laughs> but ultimately, Carrie Lake, Carrie Lake won. Now, what I find interesting in this clip is she's, I think, praising Ron DeSantis, and I understand that. But uh, uh, she's praising Ron DeSantis, I think, in a way Donald Trump would not like. Tell me if you hear this clip from Kerry Lake and hear something Donald Trump probably wouldn't like. He'd probably think, uh, simmer down with the praising Ron DeSantis a little bit. Or Kerry Lake. Let's hit it. Play that clip. He's right up there right now. And his name is Governor Ron DeSantis. I don't know if he's looking down here, but he's up there in that room, and we appreciated him. All right, I'm going to tell you a little bit. I just got to spend time with him. Love the guy. Fantastic. He is gutsy. The guy has bigger... Wait, let me think about how I want to word this. My staff always says, whatever you do, do not say balls. So I'm not going to say it. That guy has a backbone made of steel. I'll tell you what he's got. I don't know if you heard of this, but he's got BDE. Anybody know what that means? Ask your kids about it later. I call it Big DeSantis Energy. Right? <laughs> he's got the same kind of BDE that President Trump has. And frankly... He has the same kind of BDE that we want all of our elected leaders to have. I can just see it right now. All the middle-aged ladies, such as myself, are on Google going, what does BDE mean? For the moms out there, I'm really sorry that I, I threw that out. So, you see, Governor DeSantis took that Trump strength and that Trump energy, and he brought it to his home state during COVID. And he showed America what it means to have a governor who is a fighter, who will defend our freedom and not sell us out. Thank you, Governor DeSantis, for that. Now, I got to say, I think Carol Lake, as a politician, played that exactly right. She's playing that exactly at Republican women. Do you agree with me, Carmine? She's being... A little bit naughty, but not yes. offensive, but not offensive, right? Yes, yes. And 
no Republican women are offended at her saying Ron DeSantis has balls. No, because Republican women have all changed diapers, probably. So you've been sh- you're not showing Republican ladies anything they haven't seen before. Right, Carmine, do you follow me? I got you. Right. So, but I think she played that exactly right. But she's not offensive. She was going out of her way to not be offensive. Does that make sense? Yeah, but the Democrats will clutch their pearls and say, (gasps) did you hear what he said? Right, because the Democrats, when, if they they said about a candidate, I'm not sure they could say this about, if they said Elizabeth Edwards has balls, someone at the party would go, what, she's transitioning? And they think that Elizabeth Edwards was having a medical well, procedure done. In fairness, it does take a lot of balls to have uh, to become you know, transgender. Yes, indeed. So, you, some extra. They they use the skin and tuck it in around the back. So. Oh my goodness! Did, Carmine, did you see? Oh, got it. I'll tell you later. I also saw Cash Patel. Cash Patel. I talked to you when it was at the house. Uh Cash Patel, I always like him when he's on TV. He's a very smart guy. Cash Patel also talked about, and I'm a little confused about this, but it makes sense to me. The president, when you're president, you're the person who classifies things, right? The president classifies. So the president says Carmine's phone number is classified. It's classified, but it's not any more dangerous because he he deems it classified. So let's hear what Cash Patel said about Trump's legal situation over the weekend. Hit it. By President Trump made it his mission to declassify and be transparent. In October of 2020, he issued a sweeping declassification order for every Russiagate document and every single Hillary Clinton document. Then on the way out of the White House, he issued further declassification orders, declassifying whole sets of documents. And this is a key fact that most Americans are missing. President Trump, as a sitting president, is a unilateral authority for declassification. He can literally stand over a set of documents and say, these are now declassified. And that is done with definitive action immediately. The fact that the bureaucrats at NARA, who referred, remember, the National Archives are the ones that referred this to the Department of Justice, but they, the same principle, failed to refer Hillary Clinton to the Department of Justice when they got their hands on the uh, classified emails from those servers. And switching gears a little bit to the national security officials involved, you know, me as a former national security prosecutor in the National Security Division, where this case is being run out of, it's no surprise that the likes of John Carlin, who was the assistant attorney general for national security, who authorized a Russiagate hoax to begin with, is now the number three official at DOJ. And Lisa Monaco is the wow. number two official who was his superior back then. These folks, and this is, a, this is the thing I want to stress with, now that this is a quote-unquote ongoing FBI counterintelligence investigation, they will come out to the American public and be able to say, ongoing CI investigation, you will never be allowed to see the Russiagate docs 
or any other docs that wow. President Trump lawfully declassified, and they will hide it from the public. And Congress has a monumental lift ahead of them. Come November, they better start subpoenaing these documents immediately and putting these people before the American public. Merrick Garland and FBI Director Chris Wray have failed in their mission to uphold the law. They have become political hucksters, and they are completely destroying our Constitution and, and putting on a two-tier so system of justice. Now, Carmine, it it sounds to me like Cash Patel, and I'm seeing signs of this, and this is with these new breed of Republicans, Bowler, uh, Carrie Lake, and so on, the people that are going to be in Congress this fall. I think it's a good sign that Republicans are actually, I think they actually might do something about this. What do you think? Am I going to get my hopes dashed, Carmine? Or do you th agree with me that we seem to have Republicans who are going to take action against this stuff? What do you think, Carmine? You know, it's so hard for me to tell, Lee, because I'm so used to they're going to have an investigation and they're going to say some really strong words. But you see why I, I'm somewhat optimistic with the people. The fact is so many people, new people are coming in, like Carrie Lake and I'm starting to hear these people who are willing to use their voice. So we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking about some of the stuff that the Biden administration is doing with our friend, attorney and legislative aide, Joel Siegel. Let's take a short break. We'll come back and talk to Joel on the backstory. Backstory, and we are on 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C., the capital of the Empire of Lies. Joined now by a great friend of the show, the attorney, and a person who's been known to like slapping and popping, Carmen Sabia, won't you welcome Joel Siegel, the funkiest guest on the Backstory. Hey, Joel, how you doing? I'm still playing the funk. I'm I'm working on my second CD. I play every Monday night at a, cl a jazz club, and I'm bringing the funk to the jazz. And it's fair to say that you like slapping and popping, correct? I'm, I'm Yeah, I'm obsessed with it. I love it. As, as long as it's placed in the right place and not overly used. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it's great. It's a great, great technique. But I like a lot of singer style too, like Stanley Clark and Jaco Pastor. So I do both of them. And you like tapping? Tapping? I'm not. I'm not a big tapper. I I was too lazy to to, to figure it out. <laughs> too, I, just, I just didn't dig it enough to figure it out. Yeah. Right. Now that's a bass technique. We're not talking about Jake Tapper. Don't worry, anybody listening at home. Don't worry, Joel's okay. See me, I'm but excited because Prince's sax player who wrote and arranged all of his horns for the last his last three albums before he passed away, is going to be on my al my next album. And I just told him I want him to solo throughout every song I've written. And I got another sax player who mentored him, 
So I'm going to try to create the baddest jazz fusion funk album. I want it to be like literally one of the best albums in the history of jazz funk. And I'm, I'm going to do it too. I know how to do it. Okay. How do you do it? I would say step one, play good music. Well, that's my trick. Step one. I don't do it. Is, well, you, you got to write, you got to write your material, but you got to bring in other musicians who are as good or better than you. And then you ask them during the creative process, I, cause I write for every instrument. And I'll just say, this is what I have in mind. Can you come up with something that, you know, from your heart? And that's how I do it. And I no no ego, just, However, the song could be, you know, badass. That's how I do it. And um, but you know, I've been playing well, forty six years. You know. Well, well, Joel, let me tell you who I think did did that right, and see if you agree. The band I think who did that right in pop music and sort of jazz. I think it's fair to say a crossover between pop music and jazz. I think the band that did it right was Steely Dan. Do you think Steely Dan was a good example of bringing in great musicians and letting them do their job? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, Miles Davis really invented it. Um, but yeah, at Steely Dan, I mean, they would they could bring in 20 musicians to do a guitar solo that lasted for two minutes. Um, yeah, I saw, I saw Steely Dan, but yeah, Asia would be a great example of what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. But they brought in great players like Steve Gadd, the drummer, and just said, just do your do great work. And that was that's what they did. But, Joel, you'll come back and talk to us when the album comes out, right? Absolutely. As long as you play some of my cuts. Of course. Now, Joel, I'll tell you who I don't think is doing as well as Steely Dan or as any musician is the Biden administration. I think Joe Biden is hurting the Democrats at this point. And I think a lot of Democrats know it. Am I wrong in getting that sense that a lot of Democrats, they might not be mean about it, but a lot of Democrats seem to be leading Joe Biden towards the exit. Am I detecting something where they're trying to get rid of him, Joel, or is that just not me being hopeful? If you look at his legislative track record, and you know since he's been in office, it, it's way more impressive than Clinton's, way more impressive than George W. Bush, way more impressive than by I mean than uh, Obama. What he has a hard time doing, and where his staff needs to step up their game, they're very very poor at communicating their accomplishments because. You know, the millions of shots in the arms, the economy has done, you know, has grown more jobs this month than Trump ever did. Um, You know, this, well, it was the Build Back Better bill, which is historic investments and, you know, clean energy and health care. But it, I mean, it was literally New Deal, Johnson kind of Rooseveltian stuff that he's done. But he, they got to do town hall meetings and they got to do more commercials and explain to the American people this is what this legislation will do for you. But I think also his age and the fact that he, you know, he's, he stutters. Uh, there is age discrimination in America. I call it ageism. And uh, so in order to overcome that perception of a, of a do-nothing president who's inarticulate, he's got to go out of his way and be more Rooseveltian and Jimmy Carter and do more like fireside chat, explain what he's doing, but he has to also 
move more towards his Democratic progressive base, he tries to triangulate way too much. He's got to learn to listen to the voices of, of his base, and that's students and African Americans, people of color, progressive whites. And he has to he has to be he's got to be bolder. But he's been he's been a great president. But he has to tell people what he's doing, or then are they going to continue to believe that he's a do nothing president? Now I love on Joel Ziegelon because when you want the voice of the establishment Democrats, Joel provides it with a bit of funk. So, <laughs> Joel, do you, do you agree with Joel uh, Carmine that the problem with Biden is he didn't explain his accomplishments well enough? Do you think that's possible, Carmine? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem. I think he didn't explain his dementia good enough, actually. I think that was more of the the problem. I know. You know what? I actually do agree there is a messaging problem with the Biden White House has been since day one. He actually got a lot of really crappy legislation passed that they can sell to the American people because they put fake names on it, like the Inflation Reduction Act that doesn't actually reduce inflation. They put names on things that make them sound good. And most of the American public is stupid, if we're being honest. So they buy it. And Democrats know that. That's why they put stupid names on these things that don't do what the names suggest they do. Joel knows what I'm talking about. Joel, do you know what he's talking about? Well, I don't. I mean, I don't think that. Well, I don't. I don't think he has dementia. I haven't seen any medical evidence of that. I think that he's a master of the Senate, like Johnson. So I think the bill. I mean, the fact he's got Mansion and Cinema to pass the largest investments in history in clean renewable energy. Now, that's not to excite people who don't read, you know, science books or don't believe in physics. That you know, that still think climate change is, is a hoax, which we all know is, you know, every scientist that worth their salt knows that we're no, ever listen I, joel i'm with you every scientist that gets a subsidy from the government has said that we got to do these things that help these billionaire companies create bs energy while china usurps us on the world stage because they're not going to lift a single finger to stop climate change and we're going to bankrupt ourselves and give way to china who's not going to do anything and it's not going to help the environment one iota because china and india are not going to move and it seems to me joel that the the big companies know how to work the system. So whenever climate legislation comes around, it actually affects smaller business and smaller companies and consumers. No. It hurts those people a lot more than it hurts these big companies. These I have big companies question. have I have another question because yeah, climate go, change go is ahead, not Carl, a hoax. Right. Climate change is not a hoax. And people say, oh you're anti you're anti science. You're anti by the way, I think anti science is like if you look at a girl and be like, hey, you could be a boy. That might be anti science. But I think more to the point, if you've seen no evidence of dementia, I I posit to you, my friend, that you haven't looked. I have a very couple very good friends of mine who are doctors who deal with the elderly who told me two years ago the man shows early signs of early dementia. How do you watch a speech of his right now as a layman, as somebody who's not in the medical field, and not say to yourself, something's off? Something's off here. Well, I, I guess because I, I live with a disability. My brother was a serious brother. May he rest in peace. Um, people as they age have memory problems and so forth. Yes. Do I see evidence of 
the kind of dementia that I think Trump has where he, for during one sense for uh, a very long period of time, he did not call, you know, the military or whatever to protect our police officers. That's more dementia to me. But in terms of what Biden is doing, in terms of his prowess. Well, how, how would that be dementia? How, how would that be dementia? Yeah, passing. Very progressive. I mean, his infrastructure bill was phenomenal. I think his challenge is a lot of bills is going to be down the road a year or two. He just has to do a better job at messaging. I, I think he's a great president. I'm very happy with him. Um, let, me, let me ask you a question, Joe. Out of Afghanistan. Can, can you explain to me how the Inflation Reduction Act is going to reduce inflation? Renewable energy. Oh, I can't hear. I can't hear. Go ahead. I was asking if you could explain to me how the Inflation Reduction Act is going to uh, reduce inflation. Well, I'm going to agree with you, by the way, about the name, the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, you, you know, it really was the build better plan. Uh, Correct. I, I will say, if I was if I was the president, in terms of, I'll, I'll answer the question. If I was to battle inflation, the first thing I would do is I would give a middle class tax cut. If you're making like you know one hundred eighty five, two hundred thousand dollars or below, I think you should get a tax cut. Um, if you want to fight inflation, put more money in people's pockets. Um, I just went to Florida. Well, Joel, Joel, I will say Joe Biden is going to give every middle class American their own IRS agent. That'll yes. be exciting, one. One of the big ruling, Joel. I'm an advocate of that because you, you can't possibly um, get the kind of revenues from the super rich and, and corporations unless you got more IRS agents. It, that, that is absolutely a staffing issue. For example, the FBI can't crack down on Medicare fraud unless they have more agents. So I'm I'm an advocate. Uh, I'm a you know, I'm a lawyer. Right? Eighty-seven thousand, Joel. Eighty-seven thousand. You don't think they're coming for you? Eighty-seven thousand ain't for the rich of the corporations. And then seventy percent of them are going to be for people who make under seventy-five k a year. Of course, and these these IRS agents are going to figure out. They say you can't get blood from a stone, you know, Carmine. But they're going to yeah. find out if that's true if you have a gun. Because they're going to be armed IRS agents, now, you're, too, Joel. You're, you're, you're a liberal, Joel. You're you're cool with armed Gestapo IRS agents? No, I, I, I've been in government my whole career, and I, I like police officers. I like firemen. I like the FBI. I like that, too. I like, I'm a law and order. Me, too. No, I'm, I'm all for if you pay – if you're not paying taxes, and you're supposed to be paying taxes, part of being a this country and being patriotic – Pay your damn taxes, and we got too many cheats who don't pay their taxes because there's not enough enforcement by our government. No, no wait, no wait, Joel. Joel, let me ask this. So that's not your patriotic. feelings aside. Do you th do you think citizens are going to go? Oh, good, the Irish agents are armed. They're going to take care of all the cheers. Or do you think, with the mood of the country, this is exactly what the American people? Do not want. Do you think the American people are thrilled about more armed IRS agents? I think the Republicans Joel. are going to ask them in every campaign ad this fall. Wait a second. Where where did this notion of them being armed come into play? Uh, there's an there they advertised for armed agents. You didn't see that? Yeah, it's it's established, 
Joel. You know what? You know what? We want to agree on that. On this point, I, yeah, I'm more in favor of hiring uh, more IRS agents because I don't believe people should be cheating on their taxes. I mean, you got the top, you know, Fortune 500 companies paying zero taxes and very wealthy people. Seventy percent is going to people who make under seventy-five thousand dollars a year. They said seventy percent of this is at citizens who make seventy-five k a year or less. Correct. They're so, not. They're not good. And the corporations and the rich are very good at juggling the numbers and not paying taxes. They're not going to be affected even a little. And the Democrats know it. It's for you, Joel. They're for you. They're coming for you. You and your friends and your normal jobs. Joel doesn't make under 75K a year. Don't kid yourself. Okay, coming. <laughs> Neither do Go I, on. but that's not that they're still coming for us. We're considered middle class. No, we're, we're just not going to be on this. I, I think that's right wing inflammatory about armed IRS jackbooted thugs. I, I don't buy that for a second. It's true. Google it and look it up. This is this is fact. This is every major news publication has. has uh, Publish this. This is not this is not a conspiracy theory. This isn't go to the IRS website. They're they're listing for the job right now for armed who IRS agents who quote are not afraid to use deadly force. That's in the listing on the IRS website. IRS uh hiring some people to make sure that people pay their taxes so that we have proper revenues to run our country. Well, first of all, taxation is theft from Jump Street. Let's start right there. It's complete theft. And a graduated tax is even more theft and even more unconstitutional. So, but I think, let me ask you a question, Joel. If I said to you, how is it unconstitutional? Government, a graduate, a graduate tax is absolutely unconstitutional. Raise taxes. That's not, that's, it is totally constitutional to follow the constitution. That's the unconstitutional to have a graduate. A graduated tax is unconstitutional. I didn't say all taxes. I said a graduated tax is unconstitutional. But let me let me ask you this. If I said to you, Joel, we have the money to hire 87,000 people, I'm going to give you a choice. IRS agents or security guards for our schools. You pick. Sorry about that. There was this guy just turned on his chair like I had to come inside. I, I missed the last part. Sorry about that. If I said to you, you were going to choose, it's going to be your decision. We have the money to hire 87,000 agents. They're either going to be IRS agents or security guards for our schools. Which one are you picking? I don't, I don't believe in those kind of questions uh, because I believe we need both. I don't believe in a country that's going to have $266 trillion gross domestic product over 10 years. I don't believe we, we should operate from scarcity, but abundance. We have the money to go. It's not one or the other. Now, there are those who believe in creating a narrative of scarcity, which is a lie. We're the richest country in the world. And I don't, I don't believe in, you know, I just don't think that this is an issue that is as important. No, bro, I agree. We, we agree on something. I agree with you. We are not a country. We are a country of abundance. So why the hell do we need to bleed more money from people with these taxes and these agents? Well, because the people who have the money, the top one to five to ten percent, are paying enough taxes. They're avoiding. That's not who they're going after, man. It's not. You're being sold a lie. They got But boss, also, I could show you people who seem to be doing well. I say, look at these people. Look at the car they're driving. Look at all the stuff in their house. 
But if it's all credit card debt, is not really wealth and is not their wealth. They're, and, and essentially, when we talk about how rich we are as Americans, a lot of it is borrowed money, is trillions of dollars in debt. Carmine, do you agree? Yes, it's true. Well, why are we it's sure? True. If you go down that the issue of debt, both Republicans and Democrats would have to come together, which they never hardly ever do anymore, and say, look, we're going to have to um, – I come from a business family. I believe in uh, low interest rates. I don't believe in deficits and debt. But that's something that both parties, in my opinion, Democrats and Republicans and the American people – have got to uh, come together. But see, in order to pass the debt, you're going to have to raise taxes on the wealthy and cut defense spending. And we're not willing to do that because it's, 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 it's Republicans and conservatives that have been protecting the people wealthy since Reagan. And I don't often hear Republicans or conservatives talk about you know the fact that super rich aren't paying their fair share. Of taxes. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, please. Wait, 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 wait. I, I've been waiting to ask a Democrat this. Everybody dodges the question. I want to hear it. What's my fair share? Because fair share is a cool word, right? It, it's a fair, it's a cool sentence. You pay your fair share. Okay, well, what's that number? Because it just keeps evolving to go higher. What is the fair share? Can somebody give me the number? What do you, what do you mean when you say fair share? What do you mean? Well, no, what do you mean? What is the number that constitutes one's fair share? I believe in a progressive tax system similar to what we had from World War II until about 80, probably until Reagan, when we had the most profitable or revenues to build infrastructure, streets, roads, bridges, schools. And I just want a number, bro. Fair share should be based on I think what I think was fair for most of this country's history that rich pay more and the middle class and the poor drop. Okay. So what's the number well, so for the rich? Let me ask what you is the for fair a share? No, no, wait, Lee, I want to get this number. What's the yeah. number? Somebody's okay. a millionaire. What's the number that is their fair share? I'm not I'm not an economist, so I have to go to my computer and if I was in Congress I have to do C R S but what, what, well, because nobody ever says it. I mean, just say it because the, the, the it was about what, like 90% for the rich, wasn't it? You will cut the gonads off of innovation in this country in a shot. You start taxing the rich to that level. Would be what I think should be what we need to look at. So I don't have those numbers, but I but I did get that to me would be the fair share. So I'm, I'm being, I just go nuts when I keep hearing fair share and there's no number attached to it. Because it just keeps evolving yeah. into fair share means we're going to charge you more. And then 10 years, we're going to say fair share again and charge you more again. Now, here's my question. Can Americans list Ukraine as a dependent? Because <laughs> I think they should be able to. What do you think about that, Carmine? Ukraine, dependent or not? Absolutely. I, I, I said this week, how much money do we have to give them? Look, if you can't afford a military that can fight a battle if you can't afford to stand on your own two feet then maybe you shouldn't be a country i'm sorry here's all i don't I want to subsidize here's the country here's all i know ukraine is now living in my basement 
I don't, don't know what's going on with that, but they play video games all day. That's what Ukrainians <laughs> up to. So, Listen, Joel, I, I don't want well, anybody to die. Let me ask Joel. We, we only have a couple minutes left, Carmine. Let me ask Joel. Regardless of what you like, do you think it's going to work, or do you, like everyone else, predict a electoral disaster for the for the Democrats in this fall? Do you expect it to be a disastrous election coming up? Joel Siegel. I, I think it's going to be, I think this will be very close because of the past um, legislation, but also the, uh, the abortion issue is going to drive so many more people, especially young women who probably didn't vote, white women from the suburbs, um, communities of color. But our party not identify itself in a more clear way about what they're for, as opposed to, you know, being the party that's not Trump, then they, yeah, they can, I think it could be very close. I think it's going to be a, because of the, uh, I wouldn't have said that before Roe versus Wade decision, but I know, I don't think it's going to be a slaughter at all. I think it's going to be, I think the Senate will probably go Democrat. I think the um, House now has a very good chance of going Republican, unless the Democratic learned how to quit paying all these consultants money to do TV commercials that have an impact. And they've got to start going door to door. And do, I'm, I'm working on that here in North Carolina. It's what they did in Georgia. They're going to have to be way more, way more grassroots. Uh, and it's part of relational organizing. If they don't do that and they keep running people and you don't know what they're for, that can, that can happen. They, they have to define themselves much more. And Joel, we're out of time. Great conversation. Always love talking to Joel Siegel, funky, funky vice player and loyal Democrat, perhaps the last loyal Democrat who is also a funky bass player. When we come back, we will be with guest co-host Carmine Sabia and talking about more state of play for electoral politics in America. Talking about it here on The Backstory. We're back from the Empire of Lies. This is a show that is an oasis of free speech, great conversation, and is a ba- is a bastion of free thought in the wasteland that is the New World Order under Joe Biden. This is a backstory. And we're joined today, it's a Carmine Monday. The great Carmine Sevilla is our guest co-host on Carmine Monday on The Bad Story. And thanks to Joel Siegel coming <laughs> up this hour. I said The Bad Story, so there went the boom. That was an accidental boom I didn't get to, on my part. I didn't, get to, Carmine. I didn't get to say The Bad Story, though. <laughs> he has the power to boom. But borderline, it's 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 intoxicating, isn't it, Carmine? When it you is. have the power of the boom, you want to use it, don't you? You do. You do. Andrew Arthur from the Center for Immigration Studies will be on this hour 
as our guests, getting us to the bottom of all the stuff that's going on with immigration and immigration. So let's talk about the state of play. When I, because when I was pre- prepping for the show, Carmine, I said we're going to have Carmine Sabian. Let's do a public service, and l- let me explain. For those listeners who are not on the right, you should understand what's going on on the right. I think one of the worst things by mainstream media is they don't make people any smarter about the reality of the Republican base. Does it make sense, Carmine? I think yes, it does. If, and so, Carmine, let me put it to you as a question. If you were explaining to somebody what the actual state of Republicans, people who vote for for Republicans, the actual state now of the party, of the grassroots, what is the state of the Republicans, say you, Carmine, Sabia? Uh, pretty strong right now, man. The media attacks them at every chance they get, but I think the Republicans are raising money like never before. Um, I think they have all the arguments on their side. I think, you know, I've heard somebody argue today, well, gas prices are coming down. I said, you know, I mean, if I raise gas prices to $10 a barrel, uh, $10 a gallon and bring it down to nine, are gas prices coming down? I mean, they're still way higher than they were. And I, I don't think the American people are fooled by that. I think the argument is absolutely on our side. And I think there's 87,000 IRS agents, some of whom are going to be armed. I have to disagree with our esteemed uh, guest who was here. I think that's going to be, unless Republicans are truly stupid, that's going to be a running theme in in campaign ads this fall. And do you know what? My, My argument would be that the Democrats are not being helped by not, by having one view, I would say the re- here's the reality. Do you agree with this, Carmine? The Republicans, as a party, have more disagreements within that party than the Democrats. But the Republicans are stronger for it. That's my argument, Carmine. Is the Republicans are stronger for the more disagreements within the party? I, Does I that do make agree. sense? I do agree. They're not lockstep. Democrats are lockstep, bro. They are lockstep. And so my my point is, if if a, a Republican were here and they brought up disagreeing about Russia, I'd let them make your point, and then I'd say my point. That's all I'd do. I wouldn't hustle them off the show. And that Correct. makes a stronger argument, in my opinion. Whereas Democrats wouldn't even have the discussion and that makes for a weaker argument. Do you see what I'm saying, Carmine? Do you agree? Uh, I do. And so I think it's really hurting the Democrats. It's making it a weaker party. And I, th- I, I think that's bad in a way, Carmine, because I think having strong adversarial parties can work better for the country when you have actual differences. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm I'm fine with having actual differences and actual debates and not forcing everyone into agreement. Carmine, what say you? Yeah, I'm with you, bro. I'm with you. Try and do that on MSNBC or CNN, though. It doesn't work that way. No. I learned that because I used to write for Huffington Post before I wrote for Breitbart, and I ran screaming from the left about a decade ago. 
But let's go to the phone calls. 202-521-1320. Let's go to the great Owl Killer. What is on your Owl Killer mind, Owl Killer? Oh, I'm feeling like a liberal uh, driving a Toyota Cross, and it's got this thing in there where if I stop, the car, like, turns off and saves energy. And at first you think your car is going to blow up. And it's like, wow, this is kind of cool. I'm saving, I am saving some gas. So that, that maybe that's one uh, good thing they did. Hey, um, so I was really thinking um, this past weekend about the uh, raid on Donald Trump. And what, what I really came to the realization is that I think it, it, it's actually terrifying. And I am not going to say I know what a black person feels like. But I kind of have an idea of what it's what it feels like when you're like, wow, the entire system is focused and against what you believe. Like as they can't change the color of their skin. I mean, I guess we can change our views, but it's the same concept that an entire system is basically targeting you, and they're not even hiding it. And I, I really, I think there is an opportunity where. If the right the right can reach out and say, "Hey, look, you know, we we are for everybody." I think there, this country needs a healing, where police departments and all government agencies, after we clean house, come out and say, "Hey, we're starting from scratch. No great reset, great reboot. We're going back to the way the Constitution was supposed to be, and it applies to everybody from this point further." Um, but I, I really, I really am. I've come to the well, I told you this a few calls uh, last week. The FBI has to go. The only way to do it peacefully is you got to pay them their pensions. They can all retire right now. We'll pay you your pensions right now. Same thing has to be with Congress. Absolve them of all their crimes. That's really what causes the issue is that the crimes are so deep that the cover-up becomes big. The cover-up of the crimes becomes bigger than what the actual crimes are. And that's where the position that they're in. The FBI is not going to let President Trump get reelected with the chance that he's going to be in charge of them and everything he already knows of what we need a blank slate. But you need to pardon everybody like everybody's absolved of their crimes, top to bottom. And we retire everybody in Congress. Start brand new. I, I really think that should be what we push for in this country, a complete co- coming together. We got it. We, we have to start completely over fresh and move forward. But it's too corrupt. It's too rotten to the core to fix because you can't trust anything at this point. So Al Killer said at the beginning, he said he doesn't want to say that he he knows what it feels like to be a black person. Now, I'm deeply offended because the last time I heard that phrase used, I was Carmine who used it at the gym when he was coming out of the shower. He caught a glimpse in the mirror and said, I'm not going to say he knows what it feels like to be a black person. And it was offensive, Carmine. <laughs> and of course, of course, what Carmine meant was he caught a glimpse of himself and he he caught a tan over the summer. Isn't that I what did. you meant? You were very tan, Carmine. It's a very tan. Very tan. Yes, sir. So do you know what Al Killer means? That he's offended by the way some people get used by the Democrats, Carmine. Of course, man. Of course, we all know it. It's not like we don't know it. I mean, I, but I think a lot of people also kind of are okay with it. 
I don't. I think I don't think the right. I don't think the right has done a proper job of actually trying to reach out because I'm correct. When Brave calls in, do you think he wants special treatment? He just wants equal treatment across the board. You know, like that. That's I. I don't think I, I thought when they were coming out with like platinum plan and stuff like that. You're playing. You're playing to like little kids from 20 years ago. Like that. That's the mentality of the people that are coming. But I'm gonna. Plan. I'm gonna argue with you. Argue with you that there is a sect of people. I see them every day. That absolutely want special treatment. For sure. But the, the but the people that the people that are that have a chance of reaching are not them. Correct. Very correct. Yes. People that can be brought into an expanding tent are not like that. Well, I would argue no, with you. You want to expand the tent. You want to. You want to. You want to bring more black and Hispanic voters into the Republican Party. I've been saying this for two years. You've got to talk to those groups of people, and you have to say to them. You have to tell them what the Democrats really stand for. You got to tell them about the Boston's Children's Hospital commercials. Children's Hospital commercials talking about babies at 2 years old have expressed the, the their true gender and you know we we guess we should have hysterectomies for children who who want to um transition from girl to boy. Bring that to the black community and the Hispanic community. Show them that because they are these are deeply religious communities for the most part. You w- that's how you win them over. And I think it's basic common sense in some ways, too. So let's go. Great call, Owl Killer. 202-521-1320. Let's go to Sharif. Sharif, thanks for waiting. What's on your mind? Thank you for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free doing the science. I have three quick comments. First comment is this. Um, the uh, CIA, CIA, who met with um, Julian Assange. So um, Julian Assange's lawyers are suing the CIA over the, um, being spied on in that embassy in um, Spain. Um, no, in uh, Britain. Dealing with his case. The, Ecuador, the Ecuadorian embassy in Great Britain. That's what you mean, right? Yes, the Ecuadorian um, embassy. I don't know why I was trying to Spain because with the other case. But the uh, second comment, J.P. Morgan in Bank uh, of America is now trading back r- Russian bonds. Remember, like, two months ago, they had, like, put a freeze on American banks from trading Russian bonds, but it looked like the American banks is going back to trading Russian bonds again. Second comment, okay. Let me just point out, Sharif, that broadly speaking, the sanctions that America and Europe have put on Russia are slowly being canceled. That's what's going on behind the scenes. They're not talking about it. The U.S. and Europe isn't saying we're backtracking on the sanctions. But the ones that were going to hurt the Europeans and the Americans, they've just said, well, never mind. Have you been aware of that, Carmine? How America and Europe, because they're not making a big deal of it. But they're backtracking on sanctions against Russia. Are you aware of that, Carmine? I was not aware of that, no. Yes. So a lot of sanctions are saying, 
Well, never mind. Quietly. Because they don't want to admit they made a mistake with those sanctions. Does that make sense, Herman? Well, yeah, absolutely, of course. Yeah, so go ahead, Tarif. Just wanted to point that out. Okay, last comment. When Blinken went to um, South Africa, when he went to Africa last week, I brought it up on your show, but I'm going to go more in detail with it. He based uh, basically the diplomatic... The, the, let me make a quick note from the headlines. Did you see Blinken has COVID, Carmine? Again? Yes. Apparently he Blinken has COVID again. Yes, I heard that right before I came on. So send me a card. Uh, go go ahead, Tarif. Well, yeah. Hmm. I go. Um, I, I like to ask him after this, too. Okay, the diplomat from the U.S. is telling Africa they only can buy grain and fertilizer from Russia. They can't buy nothing else. So that means the nuclear projects that the uh, African countries working with Russia and the, also the Wagner Group, the security firm, and other um, um, industries, the U.S. won't. Africa to stop um, dealing with them and only buy grain and fertilizer. From what I understand, African nations mad with um, you know, the United States, and I wonder how they're going to uh, respond to it. Now, for those who took the vaccines or whatnot, you know, I'm not knocking it, you know, uh, but they have, from what I understand, they have this clinic in Mexico that deal with um, gene therapy, and, you know, if you have experience in anything, you don't have to be with and the vaccine can be with cancer or some other type of disease. You go down there and you get the treatment. It's going to be expensive, but at least, at least I'm telling you, if that's the what I understand. Uh, mayor on the West Coast, I mean, governor on the West Coast went there. So I'm not saying any names. So, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Great call, Tarif, as usual. Thanks very much. And you can call on 202-521-1320. Command Central. Did you say someone's on the line? Okay, thanks for reminding me, Command Central. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Brave. We are just talking about him. Brave in Atlanta. What is on your mind? Brave. Yeah. Go ahead. Can you guys hear me clearly? Yes. Hello? Here you're fine. Go ahead, Brave. Uh, first, I want to say, hey, come on. Good job with... Um uh, with uh, what's his name? Uh, with the with the with the first with the guest, Joel. Uh, yeah, with Joel. Joel, Joel seems like a really thank His um, that 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 blue no matter who establishment stream of blood then in his politics just just shines through, and it, and it makes me he makes it really hard for me to not sound like a conservative, and I am not right. Um, so a couple of things if I can, right? Um, thank you, sir. Um, so was raising um, a, a very valid, right? But the, the problem with the, the, the problem with the Republican Party, and uh, first, this first was just established that yes, the uh, Democratic Party uh, completely exploits and uses the uh, minority vote. Let's just say the minority vote in general, right? And yep. time after time, does nothing uh, for any of the minority communities, especially the Black community, right? Um, I think that's I think that's pretty well known for all of us, right? Pretty well accepted. The problem with the Republican Party, obviously, is that they don't reach out. Not, not only do they not reach out in any considerable way to the black to, to uh, the black community right. the term, but um, the, the larger problem is for so long they have uh, the, the Republican Party has pretended um, as if um, the things that we that we spoke of, the, the, the ills that we that we suffered and and, and, um, and made points of, 
um, were imaginary or fake, right? And, you know, uh, Chappelle had this really great line for when he hosted Saturday Night Live back when Donald Trump first got elected. I don't know if you guys remember it, but he was like, y'all going to get these N-word lessons now. (laughs) And and hilarious because it's just uh, year after year, month after month, so many things come out. And uh, it's like just watching watching conservative news this weekend. uh, Republicans sound like black militants now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Somebody said that on Twitter. I was like, that's true. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious, but you know, it, it's um, most black most black families, especially up throughout through the, up um, eight, before the eighties, clearly, obviously, up into the nineties, early two thousands. Uh, most black families, especially in the South, are conservative. However, they and, and you guys probably noticed already. However, because the Republican Party party comes across so horribly on issues that we take seriously. Um, the the, the behavior has been to keep away the monster, even though the actual monster is in office, just as we have right now, right? So I, I, I um, well, I want to say that. Well, a brave, brave. Let me stop you for one second. I think actually, imagine how political dialogue would change in general if you described things rather than liberal and conservative as country or urban. Because I think that is actually the difference on some of these issues. On a lot. And the thing about it, saying someone is country or urban, it 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 seems to imply, well, where they live determines what they think. Not exactly, but neither does race, of course. Uh, when someone is urban, for instance, I can see by a person who lives in the city in an apartment is is why they're opposed to shotguns. Does that make sense, Carmine? It makes sense Absolutely. why a person living in an apartment doesn't want a shotgun. But why a person a living on five acres? Right. Go, go ahead, Carmine. Well, just the space and the, the, the chance that you could actually, if you miss, shoot your neighbor through the wall. Right. And that's why that's why federalism makes sense to me. It makes sense to me that Illinois, which has a different not just geography, but you know, Illinois, California, New York, all of them have significant rural areas, but they have urban areas that are like nothing in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Something with a, a city with the density of Chicago or New York or L.A. doesn't exist out in this neck of the woods, out in South Dakota. Does that make sense, Carmine? In fact, we don't even use the term neck of the woods. Right, so, except for the Pine Barrens. <laughs> if, if I could, like, uh, now, now the point that you're making, I, I get the point that you're making, um, but I, I, w- I, was, I would say that um, the way, like, there's been, there's been a lot of changes throughout time that I think um, both parties and even um, uh, political media and the way we address um, these classifications, I think that that's not acknowledged. Like, so my, my wife works as a, uh, as, a, as, a tra- as a travel technician, right, in, in hospitals, right? And so she, she's like, right now, she's in a very, 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 very rural area that left up to me. I would be like, no, there's no way I would go there as a black man, right? And then to hear the story, she's telling me about all the mixed-race relationships and, and all these things that are going out there and, and the way that people talk and, and relate. 
it's totally different than the way, um, especially in the media. But let's just say our pol- the political class. Bro, relates- yes, one of my, one of my friends, uh, one of my close friends, a black guy, he lives in Iowa. And I go, oh, yeah. I said, did you meet the other black guy that lives in Iowa? And he's like, ah, bro, it's not like that. He's like, there's plenty. He goes, a lot of mixed race relationships. He said, a lot of black people here. I'm like, in Iowa? He's like, yeah, in Iowa. I couldn't believe it. You, hit the, you actually hit the head, the, uh, the nail on the head right there, uh, Karma. My wife is actually in Iowa right now. And uh, oh, there you go. Yeah, that's exactly it. Those are exactly the and, and Iowa, of course, is a state right south of South Dakota. And it's the same thing. It's just people, you, you have to know where to go. For instance, if you go to the Mexican restaurant, Gilberto's, that's open 24 hours, I'm always amazed. All the black people are at the Mexican restaurant. But it's not surprising because it's more urban food. If you lived in a city, you know where good Mexican food is. So, oh, yeah. And I want to make. Go ahead, go ahead Brave. I just want to make a point, uh, two points. I want to address two points real quickly. Um, first, uh, when Joel was talking about uh, the Carmine, you were really good on this. When he was talking about the taxation and the, and the um, fair share and all this crap, and it's not that does not really exist. What is a fair share, right? Um, yeah, a, well, I just want a number. I just want a number from one of them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. A point um, that I consistently make is that um, well, one, what happened to taxation and rep- representation of our taxes, right? Thank you. Been Thank you. For the longest. Right. And then secondly, um, why do we need more? Ta- why do we need more tax agents so to, to, to count the dollars as they're putting them in the bin to send them to Ukraine? You, you see what I'm saying? So these are things Amen. are just all in the bin for. But if I, if I could, I'll I, I say one more thing and then I'll shut up. I promise to God. Like one thing that, that um, Republicans, the Republican Party could do. Right. Because they, they're getting these lessons right now. Right. And, and they're slowly but surely acknowledging it. But I'm scared it's going to kind of be like the whole George Floyd thing where you get a call from a conservative friend who's a white guy. And he's like, he's like, hey, brave man, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you and I see you, bro. And then I'll hear from him for like another six months just because just George Floyd got killed or something like that. Uh, something that would something like that Republicans could do, the party, right, is take these experiences. And they're kind of doing it now. Take these experiences that they're, that they're catching on to, right, with like the FBI and all the bull crap they're doing and, and acknowledge the fact that has been happening to black people and minorities in general, and not just minorities, not just black people, but working class people who've been suffering at the hands of police officers and, and the IRS and the FBI and all the other agencies, right? And then finally, stop pretending like the talk of reparations, and I'm not going to lose y'all on both on this right point, but I still make it, the talk of reparations is something special or a handout. It's a debt that's owed, that this country has paid to many other groups, including... No, 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 wait, no, wait, wait, wait. You would have lost me on that years ago, but I've done a lot more research since then, and my my position has changed. Also, I I guess I I don't believe in reparations as a check per se to people, but I think there's a lot of work that has to be done to undo the damage caused by, for instance, and I'm just using one example here that that really bothers me is uh, the damage done by redlining. So. There's a lot that has to be done. I don't know how you unring that bell, but we have to start to unring that bell. Well, I think actually, actually, some of it starts by defining problems properly. So one of the things that bothers me, and by the way, Brave, just a personal note, if, if you have a friend who basically is saying to you, you know, Brave, I think every time I see a black man shot, 
<laughs> and I thought of you on the George Floyd thing. When I heard he'd held a gun to a pregnant woman's, I thought of you, Brave. When yeah, I, I never, I never tell my black friends that. I never thought, oh, black guy got shot. I thought about you. Why? I'm working. I'm at, I, I'm at my job. Why would you think about me? Because if an Italian gets shot, I don't want people calling me going, I thought about you. Why? <laughs> Why would you think? Brave, you got to follow that's me on Twitter, bro. We got to keep this conversation going. That's what I'm going. saying. Yeah, brave, watch out. You might have some virtue signally white friends. Watch out for that. But let's take a short break. Great call as usual. Do you think I'm right to warn Brave a little bit about his virtue signally white friends? Well, I've hear- never said that. I've literally never called. I will always, you know, I'll actually joke with them. I've never actually called a black friend of mine and been like, man, I thought about you when I heard about George Floyd or something. I've never done that. I, in fact, I, I mess with, like, I mess with my I friends. I was like, hearing about the I, fentanyl in George Floyd's system, and I thought of you brave. Because, you know, <laughs> black. That doesn't sound very good. When we take a short break here, when we come back, the great Andrew Arthur from the Center for Security Policy on the backstory. And we're back on the backstory on 105.5 FM AM 1390. Joining us now from the great Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org, the great Andrew Arthur. Andrew, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Lee, and thank you so much for having me today. So we have some exciting kerfluffles going on in Washington, D.C. The mayor, Marion Bowser, is having bringing the National Guard, all because of what that mean governor Greg Abbott did in Texas. Now, what's happening? He sent immigrants recently come to this country illegally. And he said to D.C., basically, can you help share the burden? And Mayor Bowser does not seem to be, she does not seem to be handling her, she's not being a gracious host, sending a National Guard. What's going on, Andrew? Yeah, so uh, back in late March, uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott uh, complained to the federal government that uh, migrants who had been apprehended at the southwest border were being released into very small towns in Texas. Uh, Uvalde, Texas, uh, the city that's been in the news a lot of late, it's a city of about 15,600 people. Border Patrol was releasing about 150 people into that town every day, about 1% of the population. Carrizo Springs is a much smaller town. And, you know, they were getting tens of migrants being released into the communities every day. We see this in Del Rio, uh, Eagle Pass, all along the uh, southwest border of Texas. And this was creating a huge problem for uh, the state of Texas and for those small towns. So Governor Abbott decided in early April that he was going to, you know, ask, uh, you know, various sanctuary communities around the country, most specifically Washington, D.C., to help uh, bear the burden. 
So he started to send busloads of migrants who wanted to go to the national capital area, to D.C. They were dropped off at Union Station in order to, you know, uh, make their way to their, you know, ultimate uh, destinations in the United States. Mayor Bowser, a few weeks back, wrote a letter to the Department of Defense. She was talking about how these, you know, I believe at that point it was about 5,200 migrants who had been released into her city were causing such a big problem that she needed uh, National Guard assistance. She also indicated, and this was remarkably, that um, the D.C. government had actually helped the federal government, FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management uh, Agency, to funnel about a, a million dollars to those migrants in D.C. So the Department of, uh, she'd asked the Department of Defense for more money and for National Guard troops uh, to help D.C. bear the burden of a few thousand migrants. Um, and shortly thereafter, uh, Mayor Eric Adams of New York, another progressive uh, in a sanctuary city, complained that he also was getting migrants bused to his city from the border. Well, uh, neither Texas nor Arizona, who also has uh, bused a couple migrants to the uh, D.C. area, had actually sent anybody to New York at all. Those people that uh, Mayor Adams was complaining about were people who had made it to D.C. by themselves. But Governor Abbott, yeah, no, no, Andrew, Andrew, let me stop for one second. Am I right in thinking if these illegal immigrants had made it to Washington, D.C. on their own, for instance, if they'd been dropped off in Texas and they'd managed to get bus fare to D.C. and got to Union Station on their own, that Mayor Bowser wouldn't have said boo about them. She wouldn't have said anything about them. And nothing was keeping them from taking a bus themselves to Washington, D.C., correct? Yeah, no, absolutely not. And Mayor Bowser uh, probably wouldn't even have noticed. In fact, uh, I know that you know the National Capital area, my former home, pretty well. There is already a large community of uh, Salvadorans, Guatemalans, and Hondurans who live uh, in D.C. proper and in the Maryland and Virginia suburbs of Washington, D.C. So that's part of the reason why there are so many people who are making their way to Washington, D.C., why they want to go there. They want to rejoin their families. They have communities there. But, yeah, Mayor Bowser probably wouldn't even have noticed that this was going on. But because uh, these buses were coming uh, from the state of Texas, with these people, I guess she used that as an opportunity to, you know, grab a little bit more pork from the federal government. Because I, I don't understand what the why she would object if the illegal immigrants got there because Greg Abbott put them on a bus or if they got there on their own locomotion, if they got themselves. What's her objection? I, I don't see she objects when when Abbott sends them free. Yeah, no, and you it know, does. again, it's it's not Abbott who's releasing those migrants uh, into Texas and into Arizona. It's the federal government. It's Joe Biden. Through the end of June, under just the Biden administration, more than 1.129 million illegal migrants uh, who had been stopped at the southwest border were released into the United States, despite the fact that they don't have any status in this country, they don't have the right to enter. And that Congress actually said they're supposed to be detained. So in the face of all of that, the Biden administration has, you know, placed that burden on the state of Texas to help move those folks through. If you go to, 
you know, the tiny bus stations uh, in Uvalde or you go to the the uh, Stripes convenience store, which is where the bus picks up in Del Rio. You know, you'll see these people all the time. If you go up to San Antonio International Airport, you'll see, you know, lines of people holding their immigration documents ready to move into the United States. It's only when uh, Abbott actually paid for the buses for those folks who, again, wanted to go to D.C. that any of this became a problem. And then again, it just shows that the problem is a real one and that the mayors of the cities and Mayor Bowser, when the immigrants are actually on her block, are actually in her city, she sees that it's not racism. It's an actual problem. Right, right, it's Andrew. The, the hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, the 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 more again disturbing, uh, you know, unseemly part of Mayor Bowser's complaints are the fact that we're talking about a handful of migrants. Washington D.C. has about seven hundred and seventy thousand residents. If you take in, you know, Prince George's and Montgomery County, Alexandria and Arlington counties. Uh, and, you know, uh, all the way out to Loudoun County. Again, these are all very progressive, uh, you know, immigrant friendly communities. You're talking about, you know, two to three million people. This is one of the largest metropolitan areas in the United States. And, you know, accepting, you know, 7,000, 8,000 migrants shouldn't be that big a deal. But it becomes a big deal because what Mayor Bowser says isn't really what she means. They're not really as immigrant friendly as they portray themselves to be when the cost is foisted on to the local government. But again, the federal government has foisted those uh, costs onto the state of Texas, to those small towns, the state of Arizona, onto the city of Yuma already. Uh, and, you know, they have asked for federal help, but they haven't complained about the unfairness of it. They haven't called these people pawns in a the game. They're just telling the Biden administration it needs new policies. So, yeah, I mean, and this of course, is- Car- I was going to tell Carmine that the D.C. Metro bus station, because of where it's located, is a hub for the entire East Coast. You can easily get to any place from North Carolina to New Jersey and Philly, for instance. D.C. is a good place to start from to get to a ton of places all along the East Coast, Carmine. So it's a place that a lot of immigrants would want to go, would stop somewhere on their journey, wherever they're going, because it's a a great route to New York. If you're trying to get get to New York City from Texas... My yeah, question, go ahead, though, Arthur. My, my, my question is, though, is that the Democrats, I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead. My question is that Democrats seem to be fine with the immigration crisis, provided it stays in red states. But if it comes to their neck of the woods, then there's a problem. And now, like, like, like our guest said, it, it's not racism anymore. It's, uh, well, this is a, a logistics problem. We can't afford to, well, what do you think Texas can afford it? Why can't you, you, the New York City can't, can't afford it, but Texas, small migrant towns, uh, border towns in Texas can afford it? Come on. Is that the lesson here, Andrew? Yeah, no, I mean, that, About- really, it, that really is it. You know, again, um, you know, Texas uh, and Arizona, Louisiana, Missouri, all of these states have sued the Biden administration over their immigration policies. 
And I think that there's a certain smug self-satisfaction that the Biden administration has with respect to all of this, because, again, you know, it is conservative states, red states with, uh, you know, very conservative governors, very conservative uh, governments that are being adversely affected. When that gets foisted upon, you know, uh, blue jurisdictions, if you would, and, you know, uh, both New York and D.C. definitely count, you know, then it becomes a humanitarian crisis. Carmine Lee, this is a humanitarian crisis every day of the week at the southwest border. These are tiny towns, you know. They have regional hospitals with small emergency rooms. They don't have the ability to, you know, help this many people. More people were being dropped in Uvalde, Texas, than there were bus seats out of town on a daily basis. And, you know, that that's a quality of life issue for those towns. There's just nowhere for people to go. Um, and so, no. you know, it is not only fair, but appropriate for, you know, Governor Abbott to undertake to, you know, move those folks, disperse them throughout the uh, the country. You'll hear the number used that it's fourteen hundred dollars per uh, person that gets moved to D.C. Well, it's probably fourteen hundred dollars in resources that the state of Texas would have to pay to accommodate those people in the Lone Star State and certainly in Arizona. So, you know, it, it, all of this. And, you, and Andrew, Andrew, let me, let me ask you about something. As I understand it, and I'm going to try to express it right, clearly, there are some expenditures when an illegal immigrant family, let's say, comes into your area. There are some requirements that are federal requirements for education system. For instance, they can't turn down students federally for education. So that becomes an expense on the local school system. Do you, does that make sense? Am I correct that there yeah, are, no, you're, are requirements? You, yeah, yeah you're, talk about that, Andrew. You're absolutely correct. The Supreme Court, uh, you know, uh, 30, 40 years ago in a case called Plyer versus Doe said that states and localities don't have the ability to limit uh, K to 12 education to students based upon their airline status. If they're here illegally, you have to let them into your schools. You have to pay to educate them. Anybody who knows anything about uh, local government law in the United States knows that education is the largest expenditure for any local government. It's not fire. It's not police. It's schools. In my erstwhile hometown of Baltimore, Maryland, 34 miles up the road from uh, Union Station, where these folks are being dropped off, the city of Baltimore spends about $14,000 plus per student to educate students. These students are actually in, you know, they're more expensive because English is not the native language of most of these folks. In fact, most of them don't speak English at all. Most of these kids have never gone to school or not gone very far in school or not been to good schools prior to coming to the United States. So these are huge expenditures that the Biden administration is, you know, placing on states and localities across the United States. And that's especially true in Texas. So one of the reasons that Texas has had standing to sue in all of these uh, in all of these cases. And again, you have to ha actually, uh, you know, be harmed or, you know, have an expense in order to have standing to sue is the fact that Texas has to spend so much money to accommodate the deleterious effects of Biden's immigration policies, the fact that he reversed well, all of and, those. And, Andrew, so so if 
there's an influx of, let's say, Ukrainian refugees, as we've had recently, and you're a small town in Texas, and you don't have a Ukrainian teacher. Does that make sense? You don't mm-hmm. have a person who's who's who teaches five-year-olds Ukrainian. You have to. You're required. You have to hire that person. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. You have to make accommodations for all of those people who are coming to the United States. And as you and I have discussed in the past, Lee, the uh, the migrant population that we're seeing in you know 2022 is very different from the migrant population that you and I were familiar with, you know, from the early 2000s. Back then, about 98 percent of all of the people who came to the United States illegally were single adult usually males from Mexico. Now, 40% of all of the migrants who have been encountered by CBP at the Southwest border thus far in 2022 aren't from Mexico. They're not from El Salvador. They're not from Honduras. They're not from Guatemala. They're from someplace else. And when you talk about Yuma, Arizona, again, remember, Arizona has been busing people too. Uh, You know, more than three quarters of those people are not from Mexico, not from Central America. Those people are coming from all around the world. China, India have sent thousands of people into Yuma, Arizona, into the middle of the Sonoran Desert. So, yes, if you are a school system, you have to accommodate that child. You have to come up with a lesson plan to teach them English, which is impossible if you don't speak their native language. So, yes, these are huge expenses. The other expense uh, that we haven't talked about is emergency rooms. Under federal law, every hospital has to accommodate somebody who shows up with an emergent condition at their hospital, whether those people can pay or not. And when you're talking about, you know, 1.129 million people, that would be the, the 10th largest city in America if they all lived in the same place. So, you know, the next time you go to an emergency room, uh, the next time you have to pay a doctor's bill, you are impacted by those migrants coming to this country. And we're sympathetic toward them. I'm certainly sympathetic toward them. But I uh, did an analysis recently of the number of people who were screened for asylum claims before they were released into the United States by DHS. Only 5% of those people were screened to apply for asylum. Most of the rest of them, even though they're called asylum seekers, are people who are coming to the United States for a variety of reasons. Many of them because they want their kids to get that you know, good public education that they're going to get for free in the United States. They want access to the world's best uh, healthcare system. So yeah, you know, these are uh, you know, the and the Biden administration is doing nothing about this. They don't care about those cost localities. They don't care about the effects that that's having on our school or medical systems. They just don't care. You know, the, for them, the only thing that matters is the migrant, not the citizen. So, Carmine, were you aware of the thing that, that I brought up about the mandates that are federal, that so many of these cities, and if you don't think that affects people's bottom line, their local taxes, their property taxes. You got another thing coming. Carmine, what do you think about this? I, I was not aware of it, but it's, I mean, it's, it's a drain, bro. It's a drain on the local economy. Of course it is at the local people. It's, it's an untenable situation. And to pretend it's yeah. not, it's and to call it racism or something like that is, 
is disingenuous. They know what it is. They know what it is. And they want to spin it to their way, like I said, until it comes to their back door. And uh, Carmine, do you have any questions for the great Andrew Arthur from CIS.org? I mean, not not questions that I think we can answer in two minutes. Uh, I just why we why are Democrats why are Democrats so obsessed with bringing in we they, we have a lot of poor people in this country. Why are they obsessed with importing more of them? Why? And you know that Carmine, that really is the biggest question that you know nobody really has an answer to. Under the uh, Biden and Obama administration, it was a principle that uh, DHS was to keep the number of illegal entrants uh, coming to the United States down to the bare minimum. In fact, President Obama did a great job. Some of the lowest periods of, uh, you know, Border Patrol apprehensions at the southwest border were under the Obama administration, certainly, you know, within the last three decades that I've been involved in immigration. The Biden administration, however, has ditched that deterrence policy that every prior administration ever had. Uh, You know, we've been enforcing uh, the laws of the border since 1925. We've had a law in place that requires us to detain illegal entrants, to detain arriving aliens since 1903. Every administration in history has actually attempted to deter migrants. But when Alejandro Mayorkas was asked on Fox News Sunday back on May the 1st by host Brett Baer whether uh, it was the plan of the Biden administration to reduce, sharply reduce, uh, the number of migrants entering the United States, uh, Mayorkas's response was telling. He said it, uh, it is our uh, duty to ensure safe, orderly, and legal pathways to access our legal system for those migrants. They want to allow as many people from anywhere in the world to be able to apply for asylum, regardless of whether they have good asylum claims or bad asylum claims or no asylum claims at all as possible. So deterrence is no longer a policy of the United States. And this is important for you both and for uh, your listeners to understand. The United States of America, the official policy of this country, is not to dissuade, deter, or stop any migrant from coming to the southwest border. I'll give you the the classic example, the most salient example of this. And that was back in September when uh, there were uh, anywhere between 15,000 and 30,000 migrants who poured over the Rio Grande into the town of Del Rio, Texas. You can remember the pictures of migrants who had to erect their own, you know, shelters because Border Patrol was so overwhelmed to accommodate them who, you know, had to, who, you know, cross back and forth across the Rio Grande to get food and water because Border Patrol couldn't provide for them. There was an incident in which uh, mounted uh, Border Patrol agents were sent down there to provide uh, crowd control. And, you know, Biden, you know, uh, saw these pictures and said that they were whipping these migrants, which just actually wasn't true. As anybody who knows anything about horses knows, one, they didn't have whips. They had split reins uh, that uh, Border Patrol agents use and that anybody uses when they ride Western style. Um, And, you know, they were attempting to control their horses. Well, you know, this resulted in a huge kerfluffle um, and uh Customs and Border Protection's Office of Professional Responsibility investigated this incident. Well, they didn't find anything at all about anybody being whipped. 
But one of the things that they actually referred these agents to uh, the local U.S. attorney's office for was because they were attempting by force to keep migrants out of the United States. Now, fortunately, the local U.S. attorney's office didn't prosecute any Border Patrol agent for attempting to keep anybody out of the United States. But the fact that they brought that case is indicative of the fact that the Biden administration thinks it's illegal for Border Patrol agents to try to keep people out of the United States. They view Border Patrol as, you know, sort of the welcome wagon in green to, you know, get these people on a path where they can be released into the United States for asylum cases that will take five to eight years, assuming anybody ever shows up. And none of those people at the end of the day are ever going to get released. The question is why they're doing that, why this is the Biden administration's policy. There are no answers to that, which is why, you know, uh, certain, you know, people are, you know, coming up with, you know, wild theories about why Biden wants us. Let me give you a theory and get your reaction to it, because some people are saying that this is part of the woke politics or the identity politics of the left. For instance, the story about whipping people at the border, which you're right, factually speaking, provably that did not happen. But if you think about it, that pushes the identity politics narrative that America is so racist that they whip people at the border. Does that make sense, Andrew? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense, Lee. And again, you know, when the Biden administration isn't telling us why they're doing these things, you know, reasonable people can fill in any sort of answer that they want. But I think that there is a lot to be said for the idea. And I'm, I'm going to set race aside because, of course, we're, you know, we are the most diverse nation on the face of the earth in the history of man. But, you know, with respect to the immigration laws themselves, I think that many of these people believe that those laws are just wrong. They're unfair. Many of the people that President Biden has surrounded himself with, and possibly even President Biden, believe that there was animus in the hearts of the Americans who wrote uh, our immigration laws. And so consequently, they shouldn't be followed. They shouldn't be obeyed. Uh, and that, you and, know, and those- they think that the, the immigration laws are white supremacist laws, correct, Andrew? Well, I don't want to use the word white supremacist, uh, you well, know, to they, describe they, they them. Do. I'm, I'm saying they, they believe that. And they, I, they're clear about it. I have heard people on the left who have, you know, talked about, uh, you know, the racist nature. In fact, there was a federal judge out in either, I think it was in Nevada uh, about a year ago, almost, who found that the law that was passed in 1952 that criminalizes illegal entry into the United States, and Lee Carmine, as you know, illegal entry is a crime, it's a misdemeanor the first time, it's a felony the second, that those laws actually, you know, had a racist source, uh, that they were, you know, racist laws that were passed by racists. Um, and the judge cherry-picked, you know, a few examples from the legislative history to support this. But I think that that's very indicative of the position that the Biden administration has on this. And again, the Biden administration now, is- Now, hmm? Andrew, let me ask you this. On a practical basis, some people say that Democrats are looking for votes. They expect basically that if you allow a bunch of people to come in and become a citizen, 
they'll remember it come election time. What do you think of that theory, that the Democrats are doing this in order to increase, increase the number of Democratic voters? You've heard that, right, Andrew? Oh, yeah. No, I, I actually hear that quite a bit. And here's the issue with that, Lee. Under our current laws, and I don't expect them to change anytime soon, if somebody shows up illegally today, it'll be a minimum of about you know eight to 10 years before they're ever, ever able to vote for anyone. And the person who actually signed the 1986 amnesty, the fellow who you know made it possible for 3.2 million illegal migrants to live in the United States permanently was Ronald Reagan, Republican icon. So if the idea was that, you know, you're going to get more votes by, you know, uh, soft peddling these folks, you know, it's going to end up being a loser. In fact, we're seeing an increasing number of Hispanics, particularly in South Texas, who are voting against Democrats because of these open border policies and the effects that they're having on their communities. We're seeing Republicans in generic polls pick up large numbers of Hispanics, many of whom are very concerned about illegal immigration, the effects that it's going to have. And la so, last question, Andrew, because we're out of time. What effect do you think Kerry Lake in Arizona will have on immigration issues? What do you think of her? Well, again, uh, you know, I, I think that she is, you know, very much going to carry forward if she wins the policies uh, that we see of the current representatives in Arizona today, I don't think it's going to have a difference. Now, the, the question, I, you know, is I think that the illegal immigration question is actually going to help her uh, in the upcoming election, because this is a problem. It's already helping Republicans. Myra Flores, first uh, Hispanic woman to ever be elected to Congress from uh, Texas, first Republican Hispanic woman. You know, just got elected. And Andrew, election. Andrew, we have to leave it there because we're out of time. Great conversation, fantastic conversation as usual. Andrew Arthur, cis.org. And thanks to Carmen Sabia. Great job as usual as guest host, guest co host, Carmen Sabia on a Carmine Monday. And thanks to all our great callers. We'll be back tomorrow on. Backstory.